Thank you, Wen Siu, for your open sharing. And you know, I was uh, at your wedding, and I was encouraged by the last part when you and Chen Shen stood up and you were thanking people. And in your speech, your thank you speech, I heard the clearest declaration of the gospel, as well as I could see your love for your parents and your family. So Wen Siu, thank, thank you for your testimony, and I pray that this may encourage the rest of us to be bold witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your awesome majesty. We ask you that this seed of your word, now being sown among us, may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but a seed sown in good ground, that it may bring forth fruit that is thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. We ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. A confession? I cannot bowl. The times I bowled, maybe the two or three times in the last five years, I've never scored above 100 points. So when a CG invited me for bowling, I agreed, but it was with some hesitation. I thought maybe I, should give, I would give bowling another try, but bowling is not easy. So there I was, stepping up to the lane, and I was concerned over so many things. So for those of you who have bowled before, okay, I need to make sure I held the 10-pound ball correctly, right? I needed to look at the markings on the ground. I needed to make sure that my posture was right. I needed to make sure that I do not throw the bowling ball into the gutter. I needed to throw the ball precisely between this mark and that mark. And guess what? I threw the ball precisely precisely into the gutter time and again. And then I remembered a piece of advice given to me when I first tried bowling. Keep your eyes on the pins. Those of you who bowl realize that if you keep your eyes on the pin when you bowl, you will actually bowl better. And the mission you are on when you bowl is to knock down the pins at the end of the lane with the ball. So the focus in bowling is pinfall. I tried that, and the average score of my next two games improved by about 25%. But I was still no prince of bowling because it was 25% over 60 points. So I still scored below, way below 100. There is a point to this story. When I focus on other things, like not having the ball go into the gutter, and the markings on the floor, all good things, right, to take note of. But lose focus on the pins, lose focus on pinfall. I drift and do not do well in my mission. Businesses call this mission drift. When they let other concerns distract them from their mission. And some of these distractions could be good things, even important things. But when they lose focus on what Jim Collins 
the guy who wrote uh, from good to great called the hedgehog principle, they'll lose focus on what works for them as a company. Lose focus on what helps make them a profit. They drift when they lose focus on painful. And this is where we find the early Christian believers today in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. They too were in danger of losing their focus. They were facing increasing needs in their community. So the question before them is, how can they focus on pinfall? How can they focus on the advance of the gospel when there were so many good and important concerns, valid concerns? And the question for us is, how can we, Grace Baptist Church, focus on the advance of the gospel, on placing ourselves under the pleasure of God, even as things get more pressing, even as needs get more complicated. So let us catch up now with the story of the advance of the gospel in Acts so far. Think back, remember with me, in Acts 1 to 3, how God get, kept His promise and the disciples, the believers, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because of this empowering of the indwelling spirit, the early believers became bold witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were many, many miraculous things being done and the community of the early believers gave sacrificially, gave out of all they had to serve one another. There was explosive growth in the number of believers. But it was not all fairy tale. Because you remember with me, remember back, think back with me, then in Acts 4-5 to what happened? We saw external opposition to the gospel. We saw the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They even harassed the early Christian leaders. And as a result, Peter and John were placed under arrest and they were warned not to speak of Jesus Christ. Then in Acts 5, as Pastor Ian last preached, we see, we saw internal deception. Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, clang, they clung on to the lie of ownership. They cling on to the lie of ownership rather than stewardship. They lied to the apostles and to the rest of the believers and they were judged for their deception. Now in Acts 6, this is where we pick up the story. And we see the last of the triple threat to the gospel. The threat of good distractions. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And if you do not have a Bible with you, please feel free to borrow and use one of the pew Bibles. And in that Bible, you can turn with me to page 914. 914. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 17. I'm reading from the ESV. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good uh, repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote 
ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pecorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How can the early believers focus on the advance of the word of gospel when there were so many other good and important and valid concerns? We see here God will see his word increase when the church keeps the ministry of the word central and the main priority as all in the church serves. You know, open your papers and read your papers and you cannot help but see the many needs the need for peace for those caught up in war, the need for food or for those in famine situation, the need for human compassion for those alone and isolated. There are many needs in this broken world. So it shouldn't come as a surprise for us when we see unmet needs among the early believers. We read, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What we are seeing here is this. With the growth, the explosive growth in the number of believers because of the advance of the gospel, it became increasingly difficult to ensure that the daily food distribution was given to everybody with need. We see the problem the early disciples faced and a complaint by the Hellenist Jews against the Hebrews. This is what is happening. This is because the Hellenist Jewish widows were not getting enough food during the daily food distribution. They were grumbling because the needy were overlooked. Just who were the Hellenists? They were the Greek-speaking Jews these were the Jews who have moved to other parts of the Roman Empire and they have perhaps grown up speaking Greek, the marketplace language of the Roman Empire. They are a little bit like our English-speaking ethnic Chinese, right? And some of them now have moved back to Jerusalem. And the Hebrews were the Aramaic-speaking Jews who have grown up in Palestine. Again, they are maybe like our Mandarin-speaking ethnic brothers, okay, ethnic Chinese brothers, so besides a difference in language spoken, there were cultural differences, even though both groups were technically, were ethnically Jews. And this is what we see. The Greek-speaking Jews bring a complaint against the Aramaic-speaking Jews. And the word complaint here is the same Greek word that translates the Hebrew word that means murmuring and muttering. It's the same word Hebrew word that is used to describe the murmuring against Moses during the Exodus. So this wasn't just mere feedback. This was a murmuring, a muttering that could lead to dissent and division. But what was the complaint about? It was about a valid, neglected need. 
maybe because of poor communications or because they lack a complete list of uh, Greek-speaking widows, this caused neglect uh, when they were caused their neglect when the food distribution was uh, happening. We don't really know what it was, but what we do know is this: the Greek-speaking widows were not getting their food needs met. And widows then, because of the place of women in society at that time, they had very few means of meeting their own needs. And they often relied on the community. We see in the Old Testament that God actually makes provision in the laws, the Jewish laws for the widows. In the New Testament, in James 1.27, for example, the church was also urged to care for the needs of the poor, the orphan, and the widow. So what was brought in in the complaint to the apostles, it was a valid need. Though as we read, the neglect was slightly unintentional. And the problem, this problem of unmet needs had broken out over cultural lines because they were not met. And this had the potential of splitting the early Christian, the early believing community. And in a community that confesses that we have a Messiah who has come to give God's grace to all types of people. Something needs to be done to make sure that everyone's needs are met. Do we see the needs of others around us? Or are we too absorbed in our own needs and our own pleasures? So what was the solution? We read this again in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 to 6. If you have a Bible, read with me. Look carefully again uh, at it with me. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said was pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen and the holies of other men with Greek names. And this they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. What we see here is that the apostles recognized the need as valid. And they called for a meeting of all the believers. And when the full number were gathered, they said to them, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It was not right. It was not pleasing to God that the apostles give up the priority of preaching and teaching the word. They saw a need for them to focus on the message, the word that was proclaimed, the gospel. Their painfall was the word of God, the word of the gospel. But please note, as you read, as you have uh, saw the text being read twice, they didn't say that the meeting of the food needs of the widow was unimportant. In fact, it was important enough that they had called a meeting to do something about it. And we see that they asked the community, the Greek-speaking community, to select seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, as we see in verse 3. Meeting the food needs of the widows was important enough for them to pick men of quality. But for the apostles, they recognized that they were called by God to the ministry of the word and to prayer, verse 4. 
And the thing to take note is this. The word translated ministry here in verse 4 is the same Greek word, same root Greek word that translates to distribution in verse 1 and serve in verse 3. Simply put, it means to serve. They were called to serve God. The apostles were called to serve God and serve the community by focusing on prayer and the Word. And they asked for the community to pick others for the ministry of the table, a service to meet practical needs. We see this in verse 3. The apostles then appoint, will then appoint and bless these seven men as they take up their responsibility, take up this responsibility and serve the Greek-speaking widows by meeting their food needs. The apostles themselves will continue to serve by devoting themselves. They will continue to put in effort and attach themselves to the focus of the ministry of the Word and prayer. It's a service that they're doing for the community in studying and preparing to teach and preach the Word faithfully. And this proposed solution pleased all the believers that had gathered. We see them selecting seven men in verse 5, whom they called and brought before the apostles. And then the apostles prayed over them, laid their hands on them in verse 6. And then they commissioned these seven men for the ministry of the tables to serve in food distribution. And in doing so, see to the needs of the Greek-speaking widows. So what do we see here? One of the things we see in these verses is that God called different people. God calls different people to different ministries. There were some who were called to serve the tables. And there were others who were called to serve the Word. And I would add, not just serve, but serve faithfully. You see, there are some aspects of any culture, of our culture, that points to and affirms the gospel. Yet there are many aspects of any culture, of our culture, that opposes the gospel. And here, we see one aspect that opposes the gospel. You see, among Jews, especially men, collecting and distributing charity in those days is to some extent considered distasteful work and at times even humiliating. The service of food distribution was looked down on. This was not a ministry that men looked forward to. It was something mainly the women were involved in. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel has power to change the sinful habits of our culture. We see that seven quality men were asked to serve. And you can imagine, if you were in their shoes, their initial hesitation, conditioned by their cultural DNA, yet they stepped forward to serve sacrificially. And in doing so, partnered in the advance of the gospel. God calls different people to different ministries. All are to serve sacrificially in what they are called to do. Well, it's well and good to point out first century Jewish sinful cultural DNA, but what about our own sinful cultural DNA? As Singaporeans, some of us may hold to working with our hands as menial, okay, as, as, as an unworthy task. It's not something we want to do. Okay? After all, we have domestic helpers in our homes and cleaners in our streets that pick up after us. Because of our cultural DNA, we do not naturally want to get involved 
in the ministry of the table. Or some of us have the idea that studying and preparing to teach and preach is easy and not real work at all. After all, they spend their time in the office in air condition drinking coffee. Because of our cultural DNA, we naturally look lightly on the ministry of word and prayer. In fact, conditioned by our own cultural DNA and sinful tendencies, we may tend to downplay either ministry. But God calls different people to different ministries. All are to serve sacrificially in what we're called to do. And when we all serve sacrificially as a church, we help to ensure that we give priority to to prayer and to the Word, as well as as those called to the ministry of Word can then wholeheartedly give undivided attention to it. At the same time, we can see the practical needs being met. We cannot afford to be distracted from prayer and from the word of the gospel. For Paul reminds us in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. And what was the result? What was the result when each one of them served sacrificially in the area they were called to do? We read in Acts 6 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What do we see? We see growth. Growth of the word of God, growth of the numbers of disciples, growth of the number of opponents who were converted. Growth because all serve sacrificially. Those called to serve practical needs served sacrificially so that needs were met. And those called to serve in word and prayer served sacrificially and with focus so that the ministry of the word was not neglected. The word of God grew. As the reach of the gospel was extended, the word of God grew and multiplied as more and more and became more and more important in the lives of the believers the number of believers grew and increased and they matured in the Word. And many of the Jewish priests, you know, when I read this, I couldn't help but notice Jewish priests, some who may initially oppose the Gospel, they too became believers. We see here the priority of the Word of God in the life of the early Christian community. The word of God was important in people coming to faith. The priests heard the gospel, and this gospel was made attractive by the sacrificial charity shown in the food distribution. And many came to trust in Jesus Christ. The word of God not only brought many to come to Christ, but it was important in growing the numbers and sustaining people in faith. It was also important in the community of the early believers as we saw how the full num- when the full numbers of disciples gathered, they gave priority to the ministry of the Word by giving, by devoting the apostles over to the focus of the Word and prayer. So how can we focus on the advance of the Word of Gospel? When there are so many good and important concerns, we can do so when each and every member of church 
serve sacrificially in the ministry that God has called us to in the church. God will see His Word increase when the church keeps the ministry of the Word central and the main priority, when all of us serve sacrificially to meet the needs of the table and of the Word. So what about us, GBC? What about us as Grace Baptist Church? You know, we had the AGM just now. And as I sat there, you know, I, I, I was incredibly grateful to God for His provision and thankful for the sacrificial giving by all of you to the Church Rebuilding Fund. If we add the amount we collected in the past two years to the giving for general offerings and missions, as a church, we've been yearly, annually, been sacrificially giving four to five times above what we gave before the rebuilding efforts began. I am thankful for this. But imagine with me, what if when we all go back to the new building, what if we all continue to serve sacrificially, both in ministry of the Word and the ministry of the table? What would that look like? Wouldn't this be pleasing to God and glorious? So let us not stop living out our sacrificial attitude. Let us not return to the building thinking that our work and sacrifice is done. It is not. It is done only when we have no need to proclaim the gospel. And my friends, this doesn't happen until Christ returns. What else? We can also all serve sacrificially together. We can serve together as a church, both the English and Chinese congregation working together. Let us not murmur against one another like the Greek-speaking versus the Aramaic-speaking Jews. Let us not complain against one another. When we move back to the new building, it's inevitable that our needs will bump up against one another. Maybe, in, in, for example, the use of rooms in a new building, definitely our needs will bump up against each other. Let's not complain against one another. May we let the gospel rewrite our cultural DNA so that as both congregation, we all serve each other sacrificially for the cause of the gospel. And let us admit, there are some things that our Chinese congregation brothers and sisters are better at than us. Likewise, there are some areas where we in the English congregation can better contribute in. Can you picture us working together? We can be better together for reaching others in the McPherson neighbourhood with the gospel. And when we work across cultural groups which tend to have suspicion and, and tend to, to complain against one another, when we cut across such cultural barriers, we show to others a demonstration of the power of the gospel to break down barriers. Lastly, we all serve sacrificially together with a focus on the gospel. The word of God, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what creates and sustains the church. So even as we look forward to serving sacrificially together in the new church building. Let us not forget to keep our eyes on the bowling pins, so to speak. The priority of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be our central focus. 
Imagine with me as a church that the gospel is what each of us tells others and God using that to bring others to new life. As the church, the gospel is what establishes and builds us up as a community. As we seek reconciliation, as we seek forgiveness with one another, just as we've been reconciled and forgiven by God. Imagine with me how we would look like as a community if the gospel is what gives us hope as we await the coming back again of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Finally, why should we serve sacrificially? It's because we serve a Saviour who has served us sacrificially. Jesus in Mark 10.45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And Jesus not only tells us so, for in a few chapters later, we see our, our Saviour showing how much and how He serves us. His service led Him to being crucified on the cross. There on the cross, He serves as a substitute sacrifice, turning away God's anger and taking the punishment due to us for our sins. Jesus serves us by saving us with His death by restoring, and in doing so, restoring our broken relationship with our Father God. He gave His life for us as a ransom for us. Jesus serves us by saving us with His death. So, we serve sacrificially. For service is but gratitude on our part for grace received from our Lord Jesus' pierced hands. Let us pray. Grant, we ask you, Almighty God, that the words which we will hear this day with our outward ears may through your grace be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they bring forth in us the fruit of good living as we seek to serve one another sacrificially in the church to the honour and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.